Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, May 16th by Pastor Rod Heppel. Today's message is the third sermon in our new sermon series entitled, Growing Up in Christ Together. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Hello, Sardis Fellowship. Thank you for being here and taking the time to still be in community in the ways in which we can, right? Online, worshiping God together. So let's not give up meeting in this way. It's what we have, as well as the outdoor service if you ever want to join us. Let's continue through these unusual times. Before I begin our sermon today, I want to let you know that we've received some sad news that Chad O'Neill's mom did pass away this last week. Her name was Lynn, and we've been praying for her and her husband, Russell. So please keep Chad and Kelly and their two kids, Dublin and Tegan, in your prayers, as well as Russ, who has lost his lifelong companion and dearest friend. Uh, The family connection in our church is quite extensive. Kelly O'Neill is John and Carol Weber's daughter, and Kelly's also the sister to Jen Peters. Um, So this death has affected a lot of people in our church, and I just uh, would like to lead us now in prayer uh, for this family at this time. So join me in your hearts as we pray. Father in heaven, we admit that while we know Lynn is home with you, it is so exceedingly difficult to live with that loss here. And so today I lift up to you, Chad and Kelly, their kids, Russ and the extended family, and we just pray that you would comfort them in only the way in which you can in their souls with the great loss that they have at this time. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So today is our third week in our sermon series titled Growing Up in Christ Together, which is all about intentionally seeking to live in obedience to Jesus, whereby the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives And then that benefits others. And the togetherness is about the fact that we do this in Christian community. God uses our family and the church family to teach us and shape us. So today we are looking at growing up in Christ together through forgiving one another. Now forgiveness is a pretty central theme to the Christian faith as we think about Jesus' death on the cross and how that brought about the forgiveness of our sins and making us right with God. Jesus' words from the cross were, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Wow, you know, just to think that in the moment of his greatest suffering, Jesus thought about us. And I find that very astounding. Now, my main verse today comes from Colossians 3.13, where it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So that's our key verse for today. Now, I often read this verse at wedding ceremonies because forgiveness is so key to having a good marriage relationship. No marriage will survive if both parties don't learn how to forgive each other. It's one of those central ingredients to marriage making it. You can't bring two different people into the closest and most intimate human relationship and not expect that there's going to be hurts and offenses that will occur along the way and will require forgiving each other. In addition to bringing two people into this kind of closeness of relationship, we're bringing two people who each have their own set of sinful challenges that they bring into the marriage relationship. And at this point, you might wonder, man, how does any marriage make it? Truthfully, I mean, that's a lot, right? And that's why forgiveness is so key to having a good marriage. As Ruth Graham Bell is attributed to of saying, Uh, to have said, if you find two people who've been married a long time, you will find two really good forgivers. So forgiveness is a huge topic 
It covers so many different relationships in our lives, in our family, our church family, where we work, go to school, our neighbors, our friends. There are a million wrongs and hurts that happen over a lifetime, as well as multiple layers of spiritual and emotional complexities that are tied into forgiveness. Not only that, but a topic like this is difficult to speak on because there will be so many different questions that we will have, like the, the what about things or what about when kind of questions. It's impossible to cover everything related to forgiveness in one message. So if today in this message I don't cover off your question, please forgive me now. And secondly, feel free to connect with me and, and ask your question, and I'd be happy to try to help or direct you uh, to a place where you can have further exploration on that topic. My hope is that today's sermon will at least stir our hearts to seeking God and godly counsel as to the particular challenges that we face in whatever our issue is with forgiveness. We are all on a journey as it relates to forgiveness because we all have faced those hurts in life. As I was preparing this message, I found myself asking the question, what is the purpose of forgiveness? Or maybe stated in another way, what is, what is at the heart of forgiveness? What is it that we are trying to accomplish by extending and asking for forgiveness? Is it just a coping mechanism that we have because we live in society? Is it a command from God that we're just to obey and whether you like it or not, just obey it? Is forgiveness for me or is forgiveness for the other person? Now, while I don't have a definitive answer to that question for you today, because I'm just not quite that smart, I do have a couple of thoughts that are framed by scripture that I'd like to share. One, forgiveness is all about God and God is the standard of forgiveness. God is merciful and forgiving towards us. Therefore, we are to be merciful and forgiving towards others. Our verse says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's what Paul wrote in Colossians 3. Secondly, forgiveness is about freedom. Freedom from something and freedom to something. Freedom from the hurt and pain of a wrong done to you that keeps you shackled and freedom to move forward and to set a new course in your life without being defined by that past event. So God is the standard of forgiveness and freedom is its goal. But as we know in life, there is often the ideal situation and then there is the what actually happens part. However, I think it is really important that we start by looking at what the ideal is for forgiveness and what it is seeking to accomplish. If the Lord has forgiven us, then what does that look like? So here's the ideal. There was an offense and it was us who sinned against God. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of God's righteous standard. And then King David, when he sinned against Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba, he said, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. Well, no, David, actually you sinned against a lot of other people. But the point to his comment, which is true, is that ultimately his sin is against the one and only righteous judge, which is God himself, the God who does not sin. Secondly, until we acknowledge that offense, our sin before God, there's no benefit from God's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive our sins. If, then. Number three, we put our trust in Jesus, which is repentance. When repentance of sin has taken place, our relationship with God is restored. There is restoration. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the restoration. 
And, and Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts or in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then 2 Timothy 2.19 says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So when you take these three verses and you combine them all together, you see this picture of a person who's trusting in Jesus, turning from wickedness, and the restoration happens by being placed into God's family. That's what, that's what God wants from the process of forgiveness. This restoration then leads to a loving relationship where we seek to live in peace with God. Us with God, God with us. So that's the ideal kind of framework for what forgiveness leads to. God is the standard of forgiveness. We've sinned against him. We confess that sin. We trust in Jesus. God forgives our sin and he restores our relationship to him. That's the gold standard of forgiveness. But in human relationships, we know that, I, that the ideal situation doesn't always work out. In fact, in a lot of the really hard stuff, it probably rarely works out. Sin is insidious. And even the best intentions of a person forgiving someone else can be little more than throwing your pearls before swine and they get trampled underfoot. Unless there is a repentant heart and two willing hearts, the ideal is not met. And, and even with the right words being spoken, and a belief that the heart is true, it doesn't mean that trust is restored right away. And often the offender is no longer even in our lives. Maybe they've died. And so that process of the ultimate picture of restoration doesn't happen, but forgiveness can. There are many times in our experiences that the ideal falls short, this side of heaven. But it doesn't mean that God's standard is wrong or bad, or that we don't kind of aim our sights towards what it is that he wants for us. Now, with all of this in mind, I want to read for us some of the words of Jesus on forgiveness and also a parable. Uh, they highlight God is the standard of forgiveness. Therefore, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So let's look at this. Matthew 6. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there you have that, that connection. Then a couple of verses later, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now those are some seriously sobering words to read. If I don't forgive someone, God won't forgive me? How are we to understand this? I wish that I had a clever answer for you here, or there's an easy out to all the tough situations, but I don't. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell a story, a parable, that reinforces this very point, and it's found in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Which would have been a generous answer. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, which was a way of him saying as many times as they sin against you. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. 
But then, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, much less, of course. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You know, you would be hard pressed to not see this story as a picture of God and our relationship to him. That our debt of sin toward God is far beyond the debt of another human towards us. God has forgiven us a lot. Why can't we forgive the other person a lesser amount? Now, of course, the challenge here for us is that there have been many hurts and offenses against us that are horrific. Um, they're not petty discrepancies or minor emotional damage, but rather full-on vulgar attacks of wickedness. And so we may even think to ourselves, my offenses towards you, God, have never been anything like these other offenses towards me. How am I to see my sin against you, God, as more than the sins of my offender? Now, this is hard stuff for sure, and I don't in any way want to make light of any person's circumstances that they've gone through. This story can only make sense in light of the gospel. That God is the one, the only one who is wholly good and wholly righteous. And that his son came into this world to die on the cross for not his sins, but our sins. The sin of the world was placed on Jesus when he hung and died on the cross. He didn't deserve that. And his prayer from the cross, as we've already said, was Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This God stepped into our world to save us from our sins, to forgive us and to make us right with him. That's the gospel. It's because he's holy and I'm not that my sin against him is greater than whatever anyone else has done against me. Our sins are sinners sinning against sinners, where all of us are sinners sinning against a holy and righteous God. That's why it's greater. And while that may not satisfy the hurt in your heart of what you've gone through, it might be good for you to know that God knows the offense that is against you and that he is the judge of that other person in that situation and you can trust God with it. This is where the freedom of forgiveness comes in. When I know God's forgiveness and freedom for me, I can then extend it to someone else and entrust the rest to God. I don't have to carry that anymore. God carries that and, and he will be the judge who sees it through to the end. Years ago, a friend of mine was a youth pastor and an accusation came from one of the girls in the youth group that he had tried to take advantage of her to do something inappropriate. The news went public, it was in the papers and on the news and he got suspended from his position while he went through the investigation process with the police. What would you have concluded about this man if you had read about that in the newspaper? Well, you'd probably think, yeah, he did it. Yeah, he's guilty. I'm sure he did it. 
Well, during the course of time, the police did an investigation and the girl confessed that she had made it up for whatever reason now I can't remember, but it was too late. How many people had read that first newspaper and how many of those same people would ever read the second one that announced his vindication? His reputation was marred. He ended up leaving his role. The waters were just too muddied and he felt it was impossible to clean it up. As we sat and talked about it one day, I read for him the words of 1 Peter 2 verse 23 which says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. My friend had to entrust to God every misunderstanding a person out there had about him because of this false accusation. Never knowing who knew the truth and who didn't, and never being able to clean that up, only in eternity would his account be fully rectified. How hard. I don't know the wrongs that have been done to you, but can you trust God with it? Forgiving the other person is entrusting God with it. Corey Ten Boom is a Christian and a Holocaust survivor of, Nazi, of a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. She spent a lot of time after the war speaking on forgiveness. Now, her sister Betsy did not survive that concentration camp. She died there. And Corey made it her life's mission to help people forgive as she had to. And here's one of the quotes that she uh, made on forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So you can choose to forgive even when the heart is not quite there. You know, it takes time for our hearts to heal and to catch up to the choice that we make to forgive someone. And I want to say to you that while you may have made the choice to forgive a person who has harmed you, that may just be step one in a very much longer process of healing. Often we cut that healing process short and we don't go for further counseling and get the help that is needed for our emotional healing. We can help you with that if that's your situation. God uses trained and skilled counselors to help us work through the emotional scars of life. Don't live as if the future will never be bright again. But to bring us full circle back to the words of Jesus and his command that we are to forgive, there's no loophole here, no exception clause. God is the standard of our forgiveness for one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's how we're to live. Our verse says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It is always helpful to read a bit of the context around the main verse that we have here so that we kind of understand uh, a little bit better about it. So let's take a moment and look at a little bit of Colossians 3. The first thing I noted is that in my NIV Bible, it has a heading which says, living as those made alive in Christ. Now, I know that the heading is not inspired scripture, but it is describing what we're about to read in scripture, and I think it's a pretty good summary statement. Living as those made alive in Christ, as it relates to forgiveness now. What I find helpful about the heading is that the, the fact is that there's a goal here, and that's that we are alive in Christ. My life in Christ, Christ's life in me. I am made alive. I'm truly made alive in Christ, free from sin and shame and the pain of all the wounds and everything that's happened in the past. I have new life. Living as those who are alive in Christ is the goal. So now let's read some of these opening words Verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, how can we forgive others as the Lord forgave us? Well, it starts by setting our minds on Jesus, where he's seated above. If I set my mind on things here, on my hurt and my pain, if that's my focus, then I won't be able to forgive others. It's only when I keep my mind on Christ that I can extend forgiveness to another person. You see, in Christ, I'm protected. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you ask me to forgive someone from my own flesh, I can't. But if you ask me to forgive someone because I've died to myself and my life is now hidden in Christ, then yes, I can. Now, verses 5 to 11 speak all about the things that we should put to death, whatever belongs to our earthly nature. We used to walk in these ways, it says, in the life that we once lived, but now in Christ we have put on the new self. And so verses 12 to 14 say, say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what I see here is that forgiveness is part of a larger package. You know, it starts from a good understanding of the gospel and that the gospel owns me. God's love for me is demonstrated through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And out of that act of love comes my faith in Jesus and my desire to love others. And a part of that loving others includes forgiving one another. All of us are sinners. All of us are selfish. All of us have bad days and say and do things that are hurtful. We all need to bear with each other and forgive. This happens in our homes and it happens in our church family. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That happens in our families, that happens in our church family. It takes a lot of humility to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's going the next step and saying, will you please forgive me? It also takes humility to extend forgiveness to that person because in that moment I realize that I don't stand on some high moral ground as if I'm better than them. For I too offend others and I too am in need of forgiveness. Parents, we often let ourselves off the hook when we have wronged our kids. You know, a tone of voice, an angry moment, an unfair judgment. And we think things like this, oh, well, they know that I love them or... I'm sure they're fine with it. Or even sometimes we might think, well, I'm the parent and that's just the way it is so they can get over it. Something like that. But be careful here. Your job as a parent is to help your kids connect the dots in their hearts between their faith in God and the reality in which they find themselves living. If in those moments when we've offended our children, we don't own up to it and ask them to forgive us, we miss the opportunity to help them understand in their hearts, how forgiveness works in life. I remember a prophet, Briarcrest, once saying, told us a story in class one day how he had missed an opportunity the night before. After disciplining his child, his child turned to him and said, Daddy, who disciplines you? And he quipped, Daddy doesn't need discipline, now go to sleep. Then he realized, I missed that opportunity, a chance to help my child understand that God disciplines me. My Heavenly Father, he loves me enough to discipline me. 
rather than just leave me in my sin. Spouses, we hurt each other with our words, our actions, our attitudes. We need to learn to forgive each other, to ask for it and to extend it when asked. I don't know all of what you've gone through, but I do know that collectively as a society and as a church family that we incur a lot of hurt and pain along the way. If left undealt with, it becomes a heavy bag of luggage that we haul around in our hearts and our minds, often going from one relationship to the next. In a group the size of our church, there will be those who have been offended and there will be those who have been the offender, both sides. So half of our conversation today is on, forgive, on forgiveness, is on the challenge that we have to actually forgive someone the wrong that they've done to us. But the other half is to actually to forgive ourselves for the wrong that we've done to someone else, even after we've asked for that forgiveness. I honestly think that the Apostle Paul struggled with that half of the equation of forgiveness. On more than one occasion, he mentioned that he was the worst sinner or the chief of sinners, referring to the fact that he had persecuted the church. I think Paul could extend forgiveness to others easier than he could accept the forgiveness of God for himself. The gospel of forgiveness in Christ, complete for all time, he preached to himself over and over again as a kind of reminder of the truth of the fact that he had been forgiven for his sins that he had committed against other people when he was zealous for the law and, and he either did the horrible thing himself or he allowed it to happen to innocent people. And in a sense, he's like saying, forgive me, God, for I'm the chief of sinners. I know what I've done. Well, today, some of you are struggling to forgive the offender in your life, and others of you are the offender who's struggling to forgive yourself and to find the grace and freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ. I think that we all are on both sides of that equation at certain points in our life, but today there may be one of the two sides that is just a little bit harder for you right now. We need each other. We need each other to help us grow up together in Christ through forgiveness. Corrie Ten Boom shares a story of her coming face to face with her former German guard when she and her sister Betsy were held captive in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. So this is after the war. And she was pondering the question, could I forgive him? Here's how it goes. It was 1974 and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture, the ocean. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their coats. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights and the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past that man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, 
A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me. Of course, how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Ah, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sin had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I ran a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So... Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The electrical current started in my shoulders, raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty forgiving. <laughs> I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on. But they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way, for every time I go to him, he touches me and teaches me something new. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he not only forgives them, he makes them as if they had never been. Corey Ten Boom. Forgiveness is a hard and complicated topic, but Jesus wants us to know the joy that comes from living free from the bitterness and resentment of an unforgiving spirit. So how are we doing with this? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to ask forgiveness of? My friend was in an interview process uh, to join a leadership team in another church. 
As part of this discerning process, they asked him this question. Is there anyone that you know of that you have an outstanding offense with? Someone that you need to go and make right with before you come onto this team and serve in this way? Without hesitation, my friend said, yes, two people. He then called those two people, met with them, and made things right. There was forgiveness and reconciliation. That was part of that process. Today, he serves as a spiritual leader in his church. Praise God. How freeing it is to forgive and to truly be alive in Christ. Life has new meaning when we live in a spirit of forgiveness. I trust you will embrace that no matter how hard the challenge might be. Let's pray. Father, you are the one who has forgiven us. And on that basis, you command us to forgive others. And I know that there will be some today hearing this message who are saying, I don't know that I can do that. And so I pray by your Holy Spirit to empower them to do what is right and good and that they in turn would find the reward of forgiveness, that they would find the freedom that is theirs, that they would find the joy in life, that they would know what it means to be alive in Christ in a fuller sense. Help each of us to just simply bear with one another as the body of Christ, as family members, as neighbors and friends, that we might be willing to live in that spirit of forgiveness, forgiving one another the offenses that happen. Give us courage and humility to go to someone if we have offended them and ask it. And give us that same humility to extend forgiveness to the one who asks. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here are our discussion questions for today. Number one, has anyone ever asked for your forgiveness? How did that make you feel? Number two, has anyone ever extended forgiveness to you when you've asked for it? And how did that make you feel? Number three, what excuses do we make to ourselves that keep us from uttering the words, will you please forgive me? Number four, what's the basis for why you would ever forgive someone? Number five, do you think it's true that when you forgive someone, you set yourself free? Well, God bless you as you discuss these questions. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.